the box meet people through their music with ash bertabez on fbi hope you had a delightful morning with nicholas watts on your radio i sure did he has been playing a lot of different tracks throughout the last three hours and if anything popped up that you'd like to know the name of you'll find it on the fbi radio website under programs and playlists just look under mornings and it's all written up there and uh we've had quite a few artists on out of the box over time and like talking to them you kind of realize oh my gosh you just spend so much time doing your work and you work so hard over such a long time to develop and create works that basically come to define you so it's kind of hard to imagine what it would be like to lose everything you've created but my guest today went through exactly that Margarita Sampson is a multidisciplinary artist working in soft sculpture, installation and body adornment. And Margarita's art has taken and followed her far and wide. And on one of those journeys, a ship that was carrying almost all her belongings, art included, was hit by a storm. Her container sunk to the bottom of the ocean. But Margarita has since soldiered on and created amazing work, and chances are you've seen some of her work in any of the nine times it's been part of Sculpture by the Sea. But first, Margarita, welcome. Ah, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> nice to have you here. So, um, just so, so you know when you're listening, her hair is blue. Her name is <laughs> Margarita Sampson, Margie Sampson. But if I call you Marge Simpson, you'll understand why. <laughs> That's understandable. It's yeah, very confusing. So you've got an exhibition coming up on Stan- at the Stanley Street Gallery called Infectious Desires, an exhibition of soft sculpture. So can you tell us a little bit about what soft, soft sculpture is? Um, well, soft sculpture, uh, Klaus Oldenburg did a lot in the 1960s, which people might be familiar with, with giant sort of cakes or giant cherries. And it was, and it was sculpture that was collapsing in on itself. So... It was it was playing with that idea of form and and this sort of looseness as it as it fell away. Uh, I was very interested in doing it because I didn't know how to make sculpture. I went through art college making uh, paintings, and so when I wanted to make sculpture and I wanted to make three D forms, I knew how to sew. So that's so you made I, your own clothes before I that. I made then. my own clothes. Cool. And then I would. Uh, start sewing these sort of spikes and sea creatures out of soft forms. So most of my work for Sculpture by the Sea and other exhibitions is, is now in textiles, which is a very comfortable uh, material that people are very familiar with. They wear it, you know, every day you're sitting on it. Um, it it's, some, it's a very nice way into sculpture for people. Nice. And so while you're making your sculptures, you've got a bit of a soundtrack going on in the background and we're going to hear a bit of that throughout the hour. So one of those tracks on your on your playlist is by Radio Birdman. <laughs> so which song do we have today? Uh, we have Aloha Stephen Dano, which is a song that was first on Hawaii Five O, of course, which is what I would see from time to time when I was on Norfolk Island when we were little. And we didn't have any television and people would bring in, um, they would tape TV programs and they would bring them onto the island when we had Betamax or VHS (laughs) back in the day. What even is Betamax? (laughs) It it was was a a short-lived precursor to VHS. Yeah. And 
uh, so when I was older and I was living in Sydney and Radio Birdman uh, had this song out and it's just a really good way to rock out in the studio. On FBI 94.5, my guest on Out of the Box today is Margarita Sampson. Aloha, Stephen Dano by Radio Birdman.
What are we or you're Liz Allen? You're listening to FBI FM. Okay, that is my <laughs> guest on Out of the Box today, Margarita Sampson, who was just speaking Norfolk, which <laughs> I only figured out this morning was actually a language. It is. It's recognised by UNESCO as a language. That's incredible. So... You grew up on Norfolk Island. We were just listening to a song that you used to dance around to as a young kid on the island. And, you know, talking about kind of, you know, what you'd watch on TV that would be bought over and Betamax, this is all pre-internet. So it would have been very remote as a childhood. It was very remote. We didn't have TV until the mm, mid-1980s, I think. Um, So... We read and we played outside and we listened to the radio a lot and um, we just did our own thing. It was a very easy childhood. Yeah, fantastic. So I don't know much about the history of Norfolk, but I have heard that it started with a bit of a mutiny. It did start with a well, mutiny. Well, you know, it's, I guess it's, you know, white settlers as well started with a bit of a mutiny. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit about how Norfolk Island came to be populated in the way that it is today? Yeah. So what happened was there was a bunch of sailors going off to t- Tahiti and they were picking up breadfruit and they really liked Tahiti, you know. The women were beautiful, the lifestyle was really easy and they turned around on the boat and they were coming back to, um, I think it was the West Indies with a, with a load of breadfruit and they had a captain on board who they didn't like and they mutinied, they chucked him off. Uh, it's Captain Bly, and they sailed back to Tahiti, and they hung out with their new friends, and then they figured they were going to be uh, caught by the English Admiralty, so they found another island, which was Pitcairn, and they managed to live there for quite a few years, and eventually they were rediscovered, and in time their population grew too big, and the descendants of those people uh, were moved to Norfolk Island um, in the Victorian era in 1856. That is so cool. Um so does that mean that the inhabitants of Norfolk Island are kind of part English settler and part Tahitian? Part Tahitian. So about half the island um, can trace their um, are descendants of that original mutiny. And so the language, therefore, is kind of like a Tahitian Old English. Yes, that's right. That is so cool. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe it's being being so close and being kind of tied to Australia in a few different ways. I can't believe that we know so little about Norfolk. So what's what's Norfolk's situation today? Uh, Norfolk's situation today is that we we're having a little bit of a tussle with the Australian government at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they would like us to be incorporated or assimilated into Australia, and. Norfolk Island citizens largely believe that we, we have an independent society and we were, we were granted uh, sovereignty in, I think, 1974, 1976 perhaps. And we're fighting quite hard to maintain uh, that sovereignty, but we, we do understand that we uh, need a little bit of help from Australia. So we, we, we're sort of toing and froing over that at the moment. So trying not to lose sovereignty? Yeah, and trying not to lose our, our customs yeah. and our way of life. And so what is it? What is the community like? Because you've got what, under 2,000 people? Mm-hmm. About one and a half at the moment. What do people do? Is there, is there a major industry or anything? Um, mostly our industry is tourism, which has dropped off a lot in the last, last few years mm-hmm. um, due to you know, different reasons. Um, but, uh, yeah, everybody either sort of works in retail or works in administration. You know, people fish... Um, yeah, you know, it's a small, small island. 
so activities. When when you were younger, you lived there. But when when about did you move to Sydney? I came to Sydney to go to boarding school yeah. in mm, I think eighty five. That's a long time ago, and then I stayed in Sydney after after and went to art college after that. Cool. What boarding school did you go to in Sydney? And is it still around? It is. It was St Catherine's in, in Bronte, oh, yeah. and um, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't mind it. It was, it was okay. Yeah, not yeah, a bad yeah. experience. No, Usually, wasn't, wasn't too boarding school is, yeah, yeah, you don't hear good things. I have no but... horror stories. It was fine. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thought we'd have some good radio there. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's perfectly fine. I'm glad you didn't have a bad time. That's right. So we've got a track to take from Ed Cooper in a second. The Way I Made You Feel is the name of that track. And what does this one remind you of? This one is from when I was first share housing in Sydney and I didn't know a lot about Australian music and I was living with a guy called John who just had this encyclopedic knowledge and huge rack of, of um, music and he put me onto Ed Cooper. And FBI 94.5. My guest today is Margarita Sampson and my name is Ash Bertabesh. You're listening to FBI. It was a 
presents the 22nd Mardi Gras Film Festival. Don't miss the best new queer cinema from around the world, including Lyle, dubbed by critics as the lesbian Rosemary's Baby and featuring actress of the moment Gabby Hoffman, plus the much-loved Ben Wishaw in Sundance Film Festival Award winner Lilting, running February 19 to March 5 at Event Cinemas George Street. See the full program at queerscreen.org.au forward slash MGFF. Sponsoring FBI. Out of the box on FBI.
The gorgeous, gorgeous strains of Mazzy Star right there with Fade Into You. Before that, you heard Ed Cooper, The Way I Make You Feel, a track that came out in 1992, which reminds my guest right now of share housing way back when in Sydney. And uh, it's Margie Sampson, <laughs> not Marge Simpson. Still got to stop myself. <laughs> And so, Mazzy Star, that, that reminds you of a very specific time, share housing. Mm-hmm. Where were you? Uh, we were in living in North Bondi. We had this sort of open house that had lots of sand. It had lots of people staying on the couch who'd been returning from overseas. And it was the first year of Sculpture by the Sea, which was a very little sort of ad hoc uh, event at that time. It was only one day. And I'd put in an application and... Do you want me to talk about the application? <laughs> I would love you to talk about the application okay. because it was it wasn't just the one sculpture. There were two. I had two I had two different ideas and the one that got rejected was a giant soft sculpture mermaid who had multiple breasts and she was breastfeeding an enormous amount of fish. So she was like this big earth mother and and that was rejected in favor of the urchins which actually did go on to become a uh, sort of seminal, seminal image for, for Sculpture by the Sea. They used it for a lot of posters and we got a great shot. It was down on Tamarama and we got a great shot. There was these big um, uh, lycris um, urchins with sequins and we had two surfers who walked up and just sort of gave them a good old squeeze and we managed to get a photograph at that, at that point. So it was a really lovely <laughs> photograph. <laughs> as, as much as it sounds like, and it looks like I've seen it, a, a great poster image for yeah. Sculpture by the Sea, I'm kind of upset that the mermaid with multiple breasts feeding all the fishies <laughs> is not the poster girl for that no, moment. let's still hope. Yeah. <laughs> you can always re-enter. Yeah, that's right. But, but what did what did she mean? What was the uh, what was the idea behind that sculpture? Oh, I think it was just that fecundity, that female fecundity, and that idea of the the mer woman, and and yeah, it's that sort of I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, she 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 was just she was just a very fecund female being that I wanted to to investigate, overflowing with oceanic goodness. Oh, exactly, that's the one. <laughs> So the the great Bondi share house in the golden summer of ninety seven. It sounds like a bit of a, a bit of a time. What was what was living there like? Living there was uh, it was fueled by a lot of a lot of dope. I have to say, <laughs> it was a particularly giggly sort of dope. So we spent a lot of time giggling in the local playground <laughs> um, after dark, and. It was the year before we went overseas, so it, it was just this sort of golden time where everybody came together and we had lots of artists staying in the house and we were all making work and um, and partying, partying pretty hard. <laughs> so you, you said you went overseas, so that was to Germany, right? That's to Germany, yep, we moved to Germany. What, what took you over there? My partner is a telecommunications engineer and mm-hmm. Australia had deregulated uh, telecommunications before Europe. Mm-hmm. So there was this big drain of Australian telecoms engineers who went over when uh, Germany and other countries in Europe deregulated, so they were working on their new systems. It all sounds very tedious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole, whole thing makes no sense to me. It, it meant that there were a lot of um, Australians partying in, in Dusseldorf for a while. Oh, great. <laughs> so that, that was good. Engineers, <laughs> telecommunication engineers sure know how to party. They, they, drink, they drink pretty hard. Yeah. So when you, were, when you were there, you went over with your partner. Mm-hmm. Did you get to do a lot of art in communities over there? Where, where precisely were you living and was it easy to settle in as an artist there? 
Um, I found the language barrier difficult. We were told that we didn't really need much German, uh, but we did. And uh, we weren't in Berlin. We were in Dusseldorf, which which is a little bit uh, more sedate. So I, I actually at that time was exhibiting a lot back in Australia. So I'd, I'd come and go. Okay, cool. So you'd send all of your stuff that you worked on over there back mm-hmm. to Australia. That's correct. And so the story begins. So we've got a track <laughs> from Pixies called Wave of Mutilation and uh, this is from when you were in Europe. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more. Uh, so we had actually finished our time in Europe and we were travelling through France in a little tradie van and, and camping, which was beautiful. And I was about to have my second solo show back in Sydney and I had all of the work uh, in a container and there, were about th- there was about three years of work and I hadn't documented it and all of our personal belongings. And we got a phone call somewhere in the middle of France that the container had fallen off the ship, um, somewhere down the bottom of Africa, I think. And about 27 uh, uh, containers had fallen off in in total. So I had to bring my gallery in the middle of the night and tell them that there was no show. And it took me a little while to recover. Yeah, I I stopped making work really for a while. We'll talk about that more in a second. No worries, but now. We've got a track by Pixies, Wave of Mutilation. realized that you were punning and I didn't even I didn't even pick up on it a wave of mutilation like the wave that came and swept your container <laughs> off the container ship with all of your belongings there we go Dear, well that's that's very good and this this line in that song I think is, is under sea with the crustaceans uh-huh. <laughs> I see what you did there um so you did you did lose pretty much all of your belongings what kind mm. of what kind of things did you have left um, we had a storage space in Sydney and it had some furniture in it and 
Oh, you know, fo- we did have photos and things like that in Sydney. So Lucky. Yeah. So what kind of things did you lose? What were some of the items that were well, that are on the bottom of the ocean now? A really good music collection, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, and pretty much most of my artistic oeuvre at that time and most of the documentation. So uh, not just the works, but actually any... Um, documentation that I had that the works existed. Any photos or any? Yeah, I had to sort of beg and borrow some, but they're not, they're not, they're not that good. Yeah. How mm. was that though, as an artist? To I mean, that's a probably a very big question, but mm. how was it to realise that all of your work was gone and that you had no, no record of you being an artist really, mm. no um, thorough record. It was actually a really interesting existential problem, <laughs> um, which I think of it like that now. At the time, I, I mean, I grieved for... I, I think I just cried for three days, solidly. Um, wow. Just wept. But And then I kind of felt strangely cleansed of everything that I'd accumulated. And the ramifications of it didn't sort of come through till later because I, I started making quite different work. I, I made a lot of white work for a while. So now in, in retrospect, I realised that that was sort of a process that I was going through. So it was a cleansing process. Yeah, it took quite a few yeah. years to sort of start. It was almost like ground zero. And then I, I just started making work out of recycled paper and it was only black and white. And eventually a little bit of red crept in. And now, of course, it's the whole full-blown colour. It is cacophony back again. So bright. <laughs> that's that's yeah. Well, when you when you lost all of your artwork, and you kind of were calling around, seeing if people had stuff, and no one had anything. What was that kind of that kind of existential thing? What what was the question that you had to ask yourself about being an artist? Well, it, it, am I am I an artist if I have nothing to show for it? You know, am I am I a conceptual artist now? You know, mm-hmm. am is the the work that exists is that just the detritus of a thought process? Which which it is really. You know, you, you've you're busy thinking away, and it comes into a a solid form that people can look at. But that's only sort of the 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 byproduct really of the thought process mm-hmm. for me. At first, did it kind of discourage you from making more work or did it really reinvigorate you to just make heaps of artworks? No, and also, I mean, this coincided... This was really only about two months before September 11 happened. So it was like this huge, you know, sort of cataclysm, you know. So at that time, we, you know, we were moving back to Australia. We were deciding what we were going to do with ourselves. And between that and sort of September 11, at that time nobody knew what the world was going to look like. So we thought at that time we might, we had some land on Norfolk. We thought we'd move back there, build a house and sort of take stock of the situation. Just be away from cities and yeah, everything just, for a bit. Yeah, just chill, chill out and lie on the grass and look at the sky and, you know, figure out, figure out what our next move was going to be. Do you find yourself actually thinking about the container ship, though, at the bottom of the ocean these days? Or is it kind of that far behind you that not really... No, not really. I mean, they actually float just below the surface of the ocean and often, and occasionally they sort of scuttle um, yachts and things like that because they, they, they shear off their bottoms. So so it's actually probably... F- there's an enormous amount of containers floating around in the ocean, apparently. That is so funny. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Filled with stuff. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It might be worth actually going out on a little bit of an expedition. Yeah, I might find yeah, it. Yeah, it's some history for you. So, okay, hypothetical question. If you could have one thing that was in your container 
back. Mm-hmm. You can only pick one item. What mm-hmm. would it be? I'm, I'm a bit torn between my the music collection that we had and the fish curtain, which was a, a dearly loved sculpture that was in Sculpture by the Sea in 98. And it had 500 silver fish that all floated in the wind as a, as a giant mobile. And, and I, I, I miss that one. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, let's take a track by Iggy Pop called I Want to Be Your Dog. <laughs> Because we definitely should do that. Okay, so why did you want to bring this one on the show? Uh, because he's Iggy Pop's been with me since I was 15. I bought my first album at 15 when I was in boarding school and Iggy has been a soundtrack in my studio from, from then until now. Do you think that Iggy's floating in the ocean? <laughs> Iggy, yeah, in the ocean of his head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and out of the box, you're listening to FBI, and my guest today is Margie Sampson. My name's Ash Berdebez. Here's Iggy Pop.
FBI Radio. Uh, out of the box is the show you are currently listening to. My name is Ash Bertavez. My guest today is Margie Sampson, who is a sculptor, a soft sculptor, <laughs> yes, and uh, makes jewelry, among other things. And we were just chatting a moment ago about the time that a container ship full of her life effects fell into the ocean and full of her art as well. And then after that, and after September 11, you moved to Norfolk Island again to set up a house. So mm-hmm. you did you build and design a house? Yeah, yep. We built a we built a house that's off the grid. And Great. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, I was there a couple of weeks ago. So, yep. And we also started a bookshop because we were looking around, thinking we'd love to live on Norfolk, but what does it want that you know? What do we want on Norfolk to be here? And I thought a really good cafe and a really good bookshop. So we opened one. <laughs> it's so it's it actually is so idyllic. That's just yeah. the most perfect picture. So it must kind of be a little bit I don't know, is it disheartening to be back in the city after having, you know, run your own bookshop and been no. off the grid in Norfolk Island? Um no, it was my choice to be back here. Yeah. I came back in 2011 and and I wanted to explore again um my artistic career. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard to do from a remote island. Yeah. You know, it, it, you can do it, but there's just a whole lot of more hoops that you have to jump through to get, you know, it, particularly sculpture yeah. off island. And so, yeah, we, we um, I, I do find the city a little confronting. I miss a big ecosystem to live, live inside and be supported by. Um, but that's what you've got to do. So yeah. as a sculptor, what do you kind of notice about the city when you come back to it from having been on the island? Uh, just the the right angles. I just I wish there was more curves. Uh, you know, I, I like curves. And my work's all curvy, and, and nature's all curvy, and every every white right angle just annoys me. So I'd I'd like to reconfigure the city, so it looked like something Gaudi had built. So, <laughs> if if all of your um, sculptural work is kind of you know curvy and and quite loud and. Mm-hmm. What kind? How did you start making work that was like that? How was that related to Norfolk Island, for example? Mm, well, I grew up in the ocean, basically. You know, we we spent all of our summers down at the beach. We've got beautiful coral reefs there, and so all of the creatures in the coral reef and the the nudibranchs and the anemones and the starfish and these amazing colours and they're just crazy. You know, it's this this you know whole alternative world that we we really don't think about you know because we're so terrestrial so those I've sort of extrapolated out those forms and then created little ecosystems and then in this particular show I've brought them inside and put them onto chairs and the chairs are all starting to um, respond to these ecosystems that are growing over them. Can you give us an example for example uh, Zaza? Uh, Zaza. Zaza is, uh, I think she's a, she used to be a nursing, what was called a Victorian nursing chair. So that's quite low and quite wide um, for a nursing mother. And she's covered in coral pink satin spikes, which are threatening to spill out. It's incredibly sort of lascivious and um, overwhelming, very feminine. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and named after Zaza Gabor. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah, it's so so not posh, but just so out there. Out there yeah. 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 So, do you have a favourite work that's coming up in in the exhibition at uh, Stanley Gallery, Stanley, Stanley Street? Stanley Street. 
my favourite work is always the one that I'm working on at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm busy trying to finish one at the moment. It's um, good that you're not just kind of like, this isn't as good as my other stuff. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm completely in love with yeah. whoever I'm working on at the moment. So I've, I've Whoever? Got, whoever, yeah. You give them personalities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's great. Yeah. So who are you working on at the moment? I'm working on Marlon at the moment after Marlon Brando. And it's a <laughs> very big chair and it's black. And it's almost it's the end of this particular series. And, and it's very gnarly and overgrown. And half the chair has been eaten away and has... Uh, sort of ribs sticking out so it's it's basically this one's killed the chair um, the other ones look like it's 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 whether the chair could could exist or not is, is sort of the, the 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 question that I like looking at you know it's 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 always a question of balance but this one clearly we're starting to overcome the chair and, and, yeah. and branch out so there's always the kind of you know, you, you make your sculptures at a point in time where the thing on it could either consume it mm -hmm. or it could fight it off, that's, basically. That's correct. So I really like opening that up. And that brings the person who's looking at the, the piece into play because you're starting to imagine scenarios yourself. All right, we'll take a track right now from uh, Rufus Wainwright. I don't know. We've got a lot of good tracks left. And I'm not sure we have time for all of them. <laughs> Shall we go with Rufus? Yeah, let's go with okay, Rufus. Okay, now why Rufus? Because I just adore him. He, he's just, he's beautiful. And I swoon, I go and watch him and, he, and I just swoon. So it's often a track that I play when I'm when I'm working on stuff in the studio. Actually, can I ask you, with when you're working in the studio, do you, depending on the character of the chair, I mean, like Marlon, for example, will you mm. listen to something a little bit bleaker, a little bit darker, a little bit more jagged than you would if you're listening to something and working on a particularly soft character of chair? Yeah, I would say so. It completely, um, your, your mood is reliant on the music. So, okay. Yeah. So what kind of, you know, when you're listening to Rufus Wainwright, what kind of a thing would you be making? Oh, Rufus. <laughs> Rufus. Oh, Rufus. Rufus. Oh, yeah, that'd be quite a sensual work, I'd say. <laughs> Delightful. On FBI 94.5, my guest today is Margie Sampson. on FBI. Never ending way 
out of the box on FBI. you've heard any Rufus Wainwright on FBI in quite a long time but uh before I said that I was gonna play Rufus Wainwright and then stuffed it up 
twice in a row and decided I wouldn't change the track again. So you heard first Jezebel's Endless Summer, which is brought in by my guest today, Margie Sampson. And uh, can you tell us why you wanted to bring on Jezebel's? Uh, they are just a great band to have in my studio again. And I've got this sort of extensive playlist. And as we as we discussed, we, we I pick different songs for what I'm working on. And the Jezebel's, uh, when I'm taking a break I'm chilling out I'm having a cup of tea and I'm just sort of regarding what I've what I've been up to for the afternoon so it's sort of a mid-afternoon album speaking of tea you've got an event coming up well you've got an exhibition coming up called Infectious Desires and it's an exhibition of your soft sculpture which we were talking about just a moment ago and as part of that exhibition you're going to be doing a, a small salon kind of tea conversation thing can you tell us about that it's a, I think it's a great idea well, the exhibition itself is based on the idea of a salon and the salon being where you would have, you know, literary types or artists all brought together and sort of exchanging ideas and hanging out together and, you know, some really fruitful connections would come out of, of something like that. So I thought it would be a really lovely idea to sit there for the afternoon and to sew. And then if I was going to sew, normally when I'm sewing, I have a cup of tea and might as well share my tea and <laughs> when I have tea I'm very fond of cake and I'd like to share my cake as well so um, I really like people to drop in and share tea and cake and we can sew and we can have a chat and you know, drop in and out as, as you feel like it for the afternoon. Well I'm putting that straight in my diary so on the Saturday the 14th of March from midday till 5pm you can uh, do a salon of infectious ideas an afternoon of tea, cake and conversation with the artist while she works away stitching herself in a soft pop-up gallery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it sounds really great. So you've done a lot of soft sculpture. That's kind of what defines you. But you've made a foray not long ago into not-so-soft sculpture. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I've been in Sculpture by the Sea over a number of years and there's a particular area, uh, Marks Park, which is usually the, the province of the the big sculptures and they're the sculptures that come in by crane they're usually done by men and it's sort of like this this promised land for the rest of the sculptors that you know are you in Marks Park oh yes no (laughs) and so I was like yeah this year I'm going to be in Marks Park and I'm going to make a big sculpture and I'm going to make it out of steel and I'm going to make it out of wood so I did make a big sculpture but I also I wanted to make it feminine so it it was too four and a half metre high sculptures they look like giant figs they've they've got interior they had an interior space as well so it looked like you could climb inside them but for oh and s issues you couldn't unfortunately (laughs) and they had um little antlers that were coming out of the top and they were sort of having a little kind of kiss you know it was it was it was sort of very soft soft it was a soft hard piece. Yeah, so it was a bit of a macho <laughs> process to get it like that. It was what kind very of, much What kind of hard yards did you have to put in to make this hard sculpture? I learned how to weld, which <laughs> which is heaps of fun, and uh, I'd recommend it. And I cut with an axe 3,000 shingles out of, out of uh, western red cedar. And my partner and I together worked on the whole piece and, and basically layered a, a whole lot of wood over each other. And, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal and it took a lot of time to do. And I won't be doing one this year in that that, um, that material, but, but I loved learning how to do it. Yeah, cool. Mm. Uh, okay, so, well, I guess that's really all the time we have for the show if we want to fit in one last track, which we definitely mm-hmm. do because it's Leonard Cohen and why on earth wouldn't you? But if you want to uh, go to Margie Sampson's or Margarita Sampson's exhibition, it's called Infectious Desires. 
And it's going to be at Stanley Street Gallery opening on the 25th of February to the 14th of March. Now, the opening night is on Thursday the 26th from 6 till 8pm. And you can find all these kind of details on the Stanley Street Gallery website. That's correct. As you could probably find it on Margarita Sampson's Facebook page, Mm -hmm. which has your art with like fun photos and commentary of the process. It's actually a nice little kind of goofy tone to everything. (laughs) I quite enjoy it. All right. So why this last track by Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man? Well, it's Leonard Cohen. He's he's the man. And um, yeah, we, 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 we flew to New York just to see him play at Madison Square Garden. So yeah, he's, he's, I, I had to put him in. It's <laughs> extravagant. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Margie. You're welcome. FBI 94.5 out of the box. Up next, Beth Dalglish with Lunch for you.
And if you want to sleep for a minute on the road, I will steer for you. And if you want to work the street alone, I'll disappear for you. If you want a father for your child, or only want to walk with me another mile across the burning Stand. 